Great stories should lead us to a sense of wonder. And lately, stories that don't do that are not doing well at the box office. Meanwhile, writers and actors for these stories have gone on strike because they object to things like streaming service revenues and artificial intelligence that might cheat them out of their livelihoods. Scripture does warn against employers oppressing hired employees, whether it's a business or vocational ministry. But how can Christian fans honor the value of stories and show our appreciation for the creators who work hard to reflect God's image as they make stories and songs? Welcome back to the Creative Fantastical Truth Podcast from lorehaven.com, in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. This is episode 172, Why Should Christian Fans Honor and Support Story Creators? This is a rare solo show. Zachary Russell, my co-host and the engineer of the podcast, has left engineering for some shore leave. He is taking some much-deserved time off after we were both working very hard at the Realm Makers Conference just last week as we record. And yes, it is fun, but it is also work. And that's the subject of today's episode. By the way, do pray for our Lorehaven staff creators. I'm not going to go all TMI for you folks. Uh, If anything, we uh, err on the side of not sharing enough personal small talk about ourselves. Frankly, I think Zach is better at that than I am. I just happen to know that there's a lot of challenges that we've had at Team Lorehaven. And I heard about some of those at the conference, uh, but even some of us that weren't able to make the Realm Makers Conference, there's a lot of big and small life decisions going on. I just want to ask you to pray for us uh, professionally as well as personally. Uh, It's a lot of hard work to make this show. I'm actually aware of that even more. Uh, Just putting the show together all by myself, uh, it feels a little lonely even when I am putting the notes together on my own. Uh, But lots of our uh, fantastic creators are uh, having many more challenges than that. So just kind of an open prayer request for several uh, unspokens, as we say, at some Christian churches. Uh, With that, I think before we dive into our main topic, I'm going to go to our first sponsor for this episode, Returning Champion, the top sponsor, Enclave Publishing, with their new uh, anniversary edition of the classic fantasy novel, The Light of Adon by Karen Hancock. Abram has dedicated the last eight years of his life to becoming worthy to touch and tend the sacred flames of Adon, and he expects to be blessed for his devotion and sacrifice. But on the eve of taking the vows that will irrevocably separate him from the life he was born to, as Abram Kaladorn, fifth son of the king of Kiriath, he is betrayed by his spiritual mentor and sold into slavery by his brothers. Enclave Publishing presents a special hardcover edition of the Christie Award-winning Light of Adon, the first book in the Legends of the Guardian King series by Karen Hancock, and it is available now wherever fantastic books are sold. You can order now online or from your favorite bookseller. It's also available in audio from Oasis Audio and in hardcover. Get those links in the show notes for episode 172. Or for even more info, go straight to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. That's the link for all the upcoming sponsors on this show as well, which includes a sponsor to EJ Kitchens with the I Write, How to Write a Novel course, uh, and then I return to sponsor three slot for the Pop Culture Parent. I'm feeling a little hungry after that, uh, putting together a podcast solo, uh, as well as being the fifth son of the King of Kerioth, uh, is hard work, so we need some snacks. So I've gone over here to the concession stand. I will have to be extremely disciplined here and work hard not to have all these snacks by myself 
So you're welcome to join me, faithful listener. Uh, here, have some candy. Uh, have a uh, have a veggie tray. I think we can just uh, emphasize the veggie tray right now because this topic is about restraint and making sure that we don't let idolatry take things over at the Cassetta stand here. As I said before, it's a rare Steven solo show. I think the last time I did this, I was talking about freedom back last summer, a similar time of year, I think. Uh, this one actually, though, builds off of Zach's and my last episode, 171. That's where we had a whole slew of Realm Makers guests uh, recorded live uh, at the book festival at the Realm Makers Conference in St. Louis. So if you haven't heard that one, I definitely urge you to, because we're going to talk today about how and why we honor folks like that and anyone who's involved with the hard work behind uh, creative storytelling. By the way, though, I, I kind of felt this while I was putting together the show. So this may not apply to you, uh, but at least it applied to me. So I'm sure it applies to some of you. Uh, for those feeling burdened by work, uh, especially if you're listening to this episode in the middle of your work week, and you, like I, uh, may have a day job that isn't the awesomest, or maybe it is the awesomest, but because of thorns and thistles, as uh, described in Genesis 3, it's just feeling a little sweatier out there than usual. This topic could bring bad feelings. I just want to uh, recognize that, and I want to share a quick story. Several years ago, an anime ruined my night. Now, how's that? A, a, that's a pretty good hook for you, huh? Okay, so it's actually a, an anime series that my wife and I really enjoy. Uh, my friend and co-author Ted Turneau uh, got us into the One Piece anime, soon to be what looks to be a not terrible and maybe even awesome a live-action adaptation from Netflix coming uh, next month. I happen to just enjoy a new trailer for that released over Comic-Con. There was a little uh, side story in One Piece about uh, this, uh, this young man who hates pirates. One Piece is set in a world of pirates with superpowers. And there's like a young man who's not a bad guy, even though our viewpoint characters are pirates. And he really wants to be a Navy soldier. Uh, this is a fantastical world where the Navy uh, is a world government Navy. And yet you can be a good and faithful Navy person, just like you might be a good pirate. Uh, so this uh, young man dedicates himself to becoming the best Navy sailor ever. And he's this little wimpy pink haired kid in glasses. And he doesn't look at all like the main, uh, you know, muscular uh, characters uh, who inhabit all these pirate ships. And there was a side story of him learning to get along with his, uh, with his frenemy who's kind of become his friend. And the story, I think it was a two-parter, it was just all about all the hard work that they had to do uh, to fulfill their dream. And I will not lie, folks, I found this at that time a very stressful uh, week or a very stressful season uh, because of my work. I found this extremely burdensome. We actually had to turn it off while I got a hold of these feelings. And this was from a cartoon, y'all, probably a cartoon like 20 years old. So if you think about work, uh, the idea of work, whether it's creative, you think or not, you may think about that gross office or task or that bad job. I just want to recognize that. So if necessary, as we talk, just substitute that word work uh, with a better word. Uh, think of the work that you are enjoying right now, uh, even if it's the work of listening to this episode, which is hopefully enjoyable, or the work it takes to read a great book or watch a great movie, take care of your kids or maybe even the work uh, that you do at nine to five or at college or as a homemaker. Uh, think of the work that you do right now find fulfilling. And that's what we're going to talk about now before we talk about how idolatry and other things uh, gets a hold of that, hijacks the good work away from us. Uh, frankly, outlining this show is work. Uh, and today, uh, because Zach's away, I was feeling it. I was realizing, okay, like this really is a job that I do. 
uh, not just a hobby, but I think that it is absolutely worth it. Also, uh, just another concession here. I may slip and talk about creative work versus other kinds of work, but sort of an unspoken rule at Lorehaven, though, is that we do not uh, discern between creatives and regular folks uh, at Lorehaven. Our job ought to be to encourage every Christian, and by definition, a Christian or even a human being is called to creativity. Everyone is creative, as singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson likes to observe. Here's a quote from him at the Gospel Coalition in an article called Why Artists Aren't Better Than Everyone Else. Andrew Peterson says, quote, I don't like calling anyone a creative, but yes, I believe everyone is creative. It makes a difference since that language implies there's a special class of person who's somehow more creative than everyone else. That's just not true. Mathematicians are profoundly creative, as are architects and pastors and homemakers. It's just not helpful to draw that line. Yes, there are artists. But as my friend Jonathan Rogers says, the arts only make up one slice of the pie of human creativity and not the most important slice either. End quote. That's from Andrew Peterson. Uh, he kind of expounds on that in his book, Adorning the Dark, which really helped me, even though I'm trying to be a creative professional with Lorehaven and making stories and such. But I think it helps every Christian. Uh, creativity is work. Work is creativity in the best possible world, which we have lost but which our Redeemer Jesus Christ is restoring for us. So that is an idea at the back of the show. So without further ado, let's go to chapter one, which I've called God made us to work and receive honor for it. Let's start from the very beginning. A very good place to start. Genesis one, familiar territory here on Fantastical Truth, especially the cultural mandate. I feel like I'm always stopping by the cultural mandate in Genesis chapter one, verses 27 through 28. Paraphrasing here from memory, that's when God has created Adam and Eve, and he tells them the first command that's given in the Bible to a human being, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. God is, in effect, telling people to work, work in a good way. And implicit in his command there, which we call the cultural mandate after theologians made that term up. Some people call it the creation mandate. I like both. Uh, that call to work includes making families and making food out of the earth, naming the animals, which we see Adam do later. Uh, implicit there is the idea of science. Implicit there is the idea of developing tools and technology. And implicit there is the idea of making culture. I see a lot of articles and books and a lot of them I enjoy that talk about culture making as kind of this uh, highfalutin thing. We engage the culture. We make the culture. And you put the the in front of it to demonstrate how highfalutin and important it is. But it is a popular level call. It is something that we do every day when we're not thinking about it. As I like to say, we are making stuff using God's stuff, whether it's making and raising other people or making and raising disciples in the local church. Uh, or making and elevating uh, certain things from the creation that God has made. Stories and songs or physical objects or recipes in a kitchen. Faithful Christians can't affirm that we are called to make any of these family, disciples, uh, stuff without affirming them all. They all rise or they all fall. We ignore one and we end up ignoring all the others. That's why I say, uh, kind of at the back of this topic, that we do respect all the kinds of different work uh, that God has given us. And therefore we respect all people. And yet we do have a kind of a unique respect uh, for the family unit 
I hear a lot of Christians sometimes, again, some of those highfalutin pieces I can't stop reading, they say that the church idolizes family. Well, maybe you grew up with a church back home that seemed to do that. And even now, a lot of churches seem to have no clue what to do with a single person or a divorced person or a type of person that doesn't match a particular vision of family. I think we can recognize that, but at the same time, recognize that the call to make families is pretty normal because it goes back right here to the very first chapter of the Bible. And yet, especially if you're in a place where you're not able to make a family in the traditional way, we can also affirm people who are making other things, who are doing creative work, science work, programming work, technology work, any kind of work, including book work, including work that making stories, doing what we call the world building or plotting or pantsing or any of these insider writer terms. As I like to say, we're not a writer podcast, but it helps to know the kinds of language that writers are sharing so we know how and whether these stories are made. People who make these stories are working and fulfilling God's original call to humanity, just like people who are getting together and getting married and making families. It is all part of that cultural mandate. And this could sound, I think, like a humans are awesome rallying cry. And yeah, to some extent, uh, this is uh, the best kind of self-esteem. If you're doing human stuff, apart from the usual amount of sin that corrupts everything, we'll talk about that in a moment. You are doing your job. Uh, you are humaning for the glory of God. It's not humanism. Uh, you are a human being as a means to an end. Your job is not just to be human for its own sake, but to reflect God's glory back to him. Because as we read in Genesis 1, when God creates man and then he creates woman, they have the breath of life, unlike all the other creatures, a breath from God's nostrils directly. Uh, they also have the image of God in Latin. That's the imago dei. The image of God means they act like little walking, talking, living, animate mirrors that reflect God's glory, his light, his magnificence, his dignity, his godness. They reflect that back to him. And yes, that mirror is broken. It is smudged. It is shattered apart from Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, we get that mirror put back together. And we can start not only doing our jobs as human beings, but we can know why we're doing our job as human beings. Before we speak about sin, I think it's important to get that straight. Uh, this is why originally Christians or God's people, human beings, would honor and support story creators because that is God's command. I'm not going to argue based on feelings or based on uh, the hard work people do or human experience. We try to be biblical on this show, emphasis on truth and the fantastical truths. So we're going back to the Bible for that reason. All the work that God created us to do would have been not only worthy of honor and support, but it would have been joyful. And sometimes it still is joyful. And that's a great blessing of God that even in a nasty world, we can find joy in our work at all. Uh, it's even fun for us to do now. Imagine how much more fun and joyful it would have been back before sin. Imagine Adam and Eve figuring out what their hands were supposed to do. Imagine if they uh, made up a world building for themselves. I mean, before we talk about world building and fiction, uh, imagine them creating the very first language. And they would have been not wicked smart, but righteous smart. Uh, it may have taken hours to come up uh, with the first language that human beings ever put together. Uh, they would have had originally, we can presume, uh, spoken language. Now they just need to come up with symbols that represent that. 
maybe they copied a strategy that Adam came up with when he was naming the creatures uh, in Genesis 2, uh, which is kind of a, a telescope in on day six, as described in Genesis 1. Uh, maybe they borrowed from that. They made a language. Maybe they made pictures. You can just imagine the kind of creativity that was suddenly unlocked within a matter of days, especially once Eve arrived on the scene to help Adam out, both man and woman created to be together in order to glorify God and share in that goal of making culture together, a community of people, not just an isolated individual. That's why I love going to Realm Makers, by the way. It kind of recaptures that idea. Any good conference for creators recaptures this idea that we're meant to get together and train one another uh, and learn from one another's uh, gifts and talents in order to do our job better, our creative work better as human beings. We would have had, before the fall, no corruption of the task, uh, no failure to honor creativity. Any competition, as we'll talk about later, would have been healthy competition. I do believe there would have been competition back then, just as there is now for good reason, and just as there will be in the future uh, for good reason. And that's why I do believe in awards ceremonies, uh, in recognizing excellence like we did at the Realm Makers Awards or like we do with the Lorehaven Reviews. Uh, we try to do it in uh, the best way possible. Uh, not to rule someone out uh, for bad reasons, uh, but in order to elevate excellence and challenge us all uh, to get better. Sin, of course, gets in the way. Sin adds idolatry and laziness and exploitation and other sins. And as we're even seeing uh, with the writers and actors strike, there's all kinds of thorns and thistles can, that can arise and that threaten to stab us in the feet when we're trying to do our good work. So without further ado, actually with further ado, uh, we'll go to that second chapter. But the further ado needs to be our second sponsor. This segment is sponsored by author EJ Kitchens, who is offering the I Write course, How to Write a Novel. How's that for training in excellence? This is the perfect sponsor for that because EJ Kitchens is a professional copy editor and fantasy novelist in her own right. Are you looking for a fun yet challenging writing class for your teen or yourself? I Write, How to Write a Novel, is a brand new online writing course that will teach you how to write novels that your friends and even strangers will want to read. It will teach you how to overcome writer's block and gather ideas and much more. I Write is taught by EJ Kitchens, a professional copy editor, former college lab instructor, and award-nominated author of the Star Clock Chronicles and Magic Collectors books. I Write is 30 weeks long. And for any homeschoolers looking for a language arts credit, it is worth one credit. For more information and to enroll before the August 15 start date, so the clock is ticking if you're listening to this in the week of release, visit ejkitchens.com slash courses. Oh, that's a perfect segue. I love it when a sponsor drops in and just perfectly segues uh, into the next segment. So thank you, EJ Kitchens. Chapter two of this topic, Sin Ruins Work with idolatry, laziness, and exploitation. I think that we would need a course like the I Write How to Write a Novel course, uh, even in a perfect world, uh, because even though human beings would have been born to Adam and Eve in a sinless world uh, without sin or laziness or any of those things uh, going on, uh, they still would have needed to learn. Not knowing things is not a sin, and so training people would have always been the idea. I've no doubt that God was training Adam and Eve all along, but also letting them discover things with their smart, uh, righteous, smart brains. Uh, and yet uh, people would have needed to train one another. So that's the point of that. Uh, but how much more than do we need to train each other 
to work for creative excellence in a world that is after the fall. So to recall your Sunday school lessons, Satan tempted Eve, as we see recorded in Genesis 3. How did he tempt her? Did he go after her spiritual calling? Well, yes. Did he make it obviously spiritual? Did he immediately go after God's nature? Yes. What, though, did he tempt her to do? What specifically did he tempt her to do? He tempted her to break a rule related to her work in the Garden of Eden. He wanted her to take one fruit from a tree that was off limits, the only rule that God gave the first people. Satan went straight after Eve's calling as a steward of creation and as a representative of God in the world. He went after her job. He corrupted humans' original calling to take care of the garden, except for that one tree. And the devil said, hey, I think your job actually needs to be like this. I think you need to break that rule that God, your trainer, your boss, your manager has given you, uh, and you need to take that fruit that you're not supposed to take. The devil found the one limit that God had given, and he urged people to violate it. I find that fascinating, this idea that Satan, the serpent here, moves in and makes a toxic workplace, and he tempts Adam and Eve to ruin their workplace, which is also a paradise. Your workplace may not be a paradise, but back then it was. And someday it will be again. That's why I kind of laugh, by the way, at TV commercials that uh, show people working on the beach. Like, is that really fun? Well, maybe in the new heavens and new earth, it will be. You can work on the beach, get some work done, feel productive, and then go splash in the surf. It will be both a paradise and a workplace. But sin divides those places. Sin ruins all the things. And as a result, we read later in Genesis 3 that God imposes a penalty specifically pitting Adam and Eve versus the consequences from their abuse of the creative calling that God has given them. Genesis 3, 16 through 19, God levies the curses. He goes straight after Eve's unique calling for childbearing as a woman, and then Adam's unique calling uh, as a tiller of the soil. In the ESV, he says, verse 16 of Genesis 3, to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Unless we blame the devil, and God does curse the devil in a verse I didn't read there, uh, but God goes straight after human beings and says, okay, if you wanted to pollute your own paradise workplace that I've given you, uh, this planet that I gave to you uh, to do more of what I do and reflect me back to myself, then the consequences are as follows. Frustration, groaning. The earth groans, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, probably thinking here about uh, Genesis 3. We are frustrated now whenever we try to create things. The ground fights against us if we're trying to do agriculture. Our bodies fight against us when we're trying to do something like make more human beings. Uh, Adam and Eve both get hit by that. 
because it's still human beings fault. Adam and Eve, and we're all like them, by the way, don't do the Sunday school thing where you say, I wouldn't have done it. Eve was so terrible. Adam was so terrible. Yes, you would have done it. And so would I, because human beings are all at fault in Adam. That's a key biblical idea. Trying to idolize a good gift of God, to steal it from him, to break his rules, to say that we know better will lead to these consequences. And it will lead to corruption of our calling. Uh, there, Adam's calling, Eve's calling at the same time, whether it's making kids or making new stuff using God's stuff, it's corrupted. It's, it's distorted. Uh, you see there, uh, Adam having to fight harder uh, against creation rather than Adam uh, having a good time of it uh, tilling the earth. You see him working harder. Uh, you also see maybe kind of subtle reference there to workaholism, uh, working too hard. Uh, the futility, the sweating, uh, it hurts. Right now in Texas, it's 100 degrees uh, in the shade every day in the month of July, and it hurts to work outside. And I'm very aware of this passage, the sweat of your brow, it says. But there's also the temptation toward laziness. You don't want to work. It's too hard. Someone else can do it for you, uh, which, by the way, is uh, kind of the germ of this idea that I mentioned earlier of exploitation not wanting to work because you think someone else can do that for you. And then there gets political and you get uh, workers parties and labor unions and things like that. Uh, you get this uh, pitting of the big guys versus the little guys. And this idea uh, that either the poor are not working hard enough or the rich are not working hard enough. Either way, people are accusing each other of not working hard enough. Really, regardless of what you think about all that stuff, everyone distorts work. Uh, everybody wants to, if we're not working too hard, wants to get out of it, wants somebody else to do it for us. We want to benefit from our good name or the resources we've been given to pay other people to do the work for us. Uh, and there's biblical uh, condemnations of that behavior all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament, where, for example, uh, one of the apostles writes, if a man does not work, neither shall he eat. Also thinking of Genesis 3. Uh, yeah, it's rough. It's difficult. You get thorns and thistles, but that's what you've got to do. It's part of the creative calling, even if it doesn't feel good, even if it's not as happy as it used to be. And I think we see some of that reflected uh, in the current strikes in the United States. Uh, it's the uh, Writers Guild in uh, Hollywood or associated with Hollywood who started striking a couple of months ago. Uh, and then the Actors Guild followed suit. Uh, just last week, they announced that. And uh, now suddenly, you're not really seeing it yet, but you probably will. All the TV shows in the United States, uh, with some exceptions like independent productions like The Chosen, the studios are shut down. The big studios, at least, are the ones who don't want to agree to the writers or actors' terms. Uh, no more scripts are being written uh, by members of the Writers Guild. Uh, no more acting is being done by members of the Actors Guild. Uh, even as their movies are coming out, uh, these folks won't even show up on the red carpet uh, to promote their movies. It is so strange to think about it, but it's true. And people will have different opinions about these. I heard a really great take uh, from uh, Thomas Umstead Jr., a friend of the show who runs the Christian publishing show and the novel marketing podcast. Uh, great resources for Christian writers there. Uh, Thomas's last episode, he said that he felt the studios actually don't mind the actor strike so much because it's the only way to break the log jam or the arms race of everybody trying to fall all over themselves and spend all kinds of money they don't have in order to try to top the other guy's streaming service. According to Thomas, he thinks the studios actually don't mind the strike because 
whew, at least everybody has to stop the overwork and the spending of money they don't have all at once. Now you don't need to worry about the other guy's streaming service getting ahead because everything has been uh, stopped. Uh, all the work has been halted. But I think there are good reasons, maybe, uh, for the writers and actors to go on strike. And I think that goes, by the way, uh, to the point I'll elaborate in the next chapter. I do see a lot of people, uh, among cultural conservatives, for example, uh, who condemn the writers for not being good anyway and for being entitled. You guys are making up all kinds of cliches in movies. Uh, you're ruining the Marvel movies. You're ruining the DC movies. Uh, you're ruining the streaming movies. You're ruining all of these shows. Like, What makes you think you deserve any kind of honor or support? Uh, you guys are doing bad work, so you kind of get what you get. You don't throw a fit. I can understand that because there are some writers and actors who are just bad, and I'm sure there are some people who are entitled. But at the same time, I think we ought to uh, presume that we give people at least the honor and support that are worthy of human beings who bear God's image. Uh, they're not your employees. They're certainly not your slaves. Uh, you being a consumer doesn't give you any right to their labor. They have a right to get together and negotiate for what they think their labor is worth. And if they get it, then, well, ipso facto, their labor was worth that. Isn't that a free market idea? Uh, at the same time, why then uh, get the big studio bosses off the hook? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, deep down because of sin, I think everybody's trying to get out of work. Like a lot of people maybe feel like they have played the game long enough. Thank you very much. And they can just kind of retire and coast. Uh, in a uh, corner office at the top of a skyscraper somewhere, then everybody else can do the work for them uh, because they're kind of pretending that they've gotten back to a paradise. Their workplace now is a paradise, even though Jesus hasn't returned, and they can just uh, live on the beach and let everybody else do the work for them. At least that's a perception, I think, of the big corporate heads or the studio bosses. Either way, the suspicion, I think, is correct that either party here is trying not to do good work and he's yet uh, trying to get paid for it. I err on the side of the writers and actors mainly because, well, I'll admit I'm not too happy with the studios right now. <laughs> you all know my opinion. If you listen to this show about the Warner brothers and how they are wrecking the, uh, the DC universe, uh, but I'm not too happy about the Marvel universe either. Uh, and I'm in good company there uh, because now I can point to the Disney CEO and say that he's not too happy about it. I think they felt like they were spending too much on the Star Wars shows and the Marvel shows. That's another episode. Uh, but they've basically announced that they're going to start selling off pieces of the company and they're going to pull back on all of this manufacturing of the content. We'll talk about uh, some of that in our next episode, I think. The issue there, though, is not just spending stuff you don't have, but possible exploitation of writers and actors. Uh, the streaming services in particular, it can be argued, went for a model of paying people uh, that is not ethical. So the writers are worried about uh, not getting paid enough for their work. So are the actors. But then everybody's also worried about AI replacing them, uh, whether it's replacing a seeming live in motion human being who's acting uh, or more likely and sooner uh, replacing the work of a writer with an AI. This just, uh, you know, a bot that's uh, reading all the scripts of so forced to read all the scripts and then can generate uh, a script for a, a 30 minute episode. Uh, that unlike the meme version of that may actually somewhat resemble the work of a human being. We don't want to dishonor any good work of the writers or actors, or for that matter, uh, the corporate studio heads. Uh, we do want to honor and support 
any of the good work that they have done. And I think that's just part of being a Christian uh, that is a redeemed human being who knows the purpose of work uh, in God's economy. Uh, We don't want to devalue human beings. Uh, We want to treat people as representatives of God's image, even if they're not Christians. That's, by the way, another reason why uh, at Lorehaven, we want to review the good stuff. And we don't want to rant about, oh, all that bad, terrible Christian fiction that we see. We just want to elevate and promote uh, the good stuff. And if you've been a Christian, if you're familiar with the the idea of Christian fiction, yes, it's true. We're going to be honest about it. Uh, There's plenty of uh, slipshod uh, bad stuff, just badly made stuff uh, in the world uh, from non-Christian companies and publishers and movie makers. But really, according to our own gospel, Christians should not smile as easily upon shoddy work. You need to be looking for stuff that's made with excellence. And we should get rid, as churches, we should get rid of this habit of excusing badly made stories because it's clean or because it gives you the gospel. This idea that it doesn't really matter what the outside looks like uh, just because the inside is pure of heart, that's not biblical. We shouldn't be what people have called Gnostics about this. The soul matters, yes, it's what's on the inside that counts, but the body matters as well. As C.S. Lewis said, God likes matter. He invented it. Adam and Eve were called to excellence in the Garden of Eden. And then even after the fall, they were called to excellence in what they did. Genesis actually takes some time on the way up to the flood to talk about all the great things that human beings were doing as they spread out over the earth. As there's this kind of uh, damning with faint praise effect, uh, talking about uh, these uh, musical instruments and these tools and all these things that people were doing. Uh, Even as sin is filling the earth, uh, people are filling the earth and they are doing their job making good stuff. So if the Bible can find space to honor and support creators of civilizations that were ultimately got so corrupt that they were destroyed by the flood, uh, then I think we can find some ways to honor and support uh, even those bad actors and writers. And we'll talk about how in the next episode, but how much more so then can we find ways to honor and support Christians who are working hard, not only when they're making stories that honor the gospel, whether or not they are overt about it, but when they are doing these stories, making them with excellence when they're trying to make a story that gives you joy to read it, that is fulfilling because it's well put together and it understands the genre and the characters are vivid and the world is great and the actions make sense and the plot holds together. Those are the kinds of stories that we should honor. And that's why we should seek to honor and support story creators, especially when they're Christian story creators who are our brothers and sisters, just so long as they are doing these things well. This next segment is sponsored by the Pop Culture Parent, Speaking of the purpose of stories and all that good stuff, this is the nonfiction book that I got to co-write a few years ago with my friends uh, Ted Turneau and Dr. Jared Moore. By the way, Ted has a new book coming out that we're hoping to feature on the show pretty soon. But this is a book that I got to write with him, and it's specifically for parents or anyone who's in charge of training the next generation Uh, in a world where idolatry has ruined a whole lot of popular culture. How do we see the purpose of these stories and songs, and how can we redeem a biblical view? of these stories and songs. That's what we do in this practical, short, but in-depth guide to discerning popular culture with your kids. We have case studies. We go through several examples at different age groups because it doesn't always look the same, right? Uh, You've got to start with your small children and then go to middle grade, and then you go into the teenage years, uh, helping your kids level up in their discernment XP 
as you are engaging with different kinds of stories. We have five simple questions to help get you started. Uh, go to newgrowthpress.com to find the pop culture parent. Of course, we'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, that is a nonfiction book about fiction that I got to co-author, The Pop Culture Parent. Chapter three now, Christ redeems work so that we can celebrate creators. I think if we went straight from God made humans to make stuff creatively to now it's all thorns and thistles, but you got to be excellent anyway, we would miss something. We would levy a heavy burden. Uh, we would be coming along uh, like maybe the wrong kind of cultural conservative. And we would sound like we'd say to people, hey, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, you just need to work hard and be better than the other guy. Kind of this uh, social Darwinian approach, actually. You just give people the law, give people the command, be better, try harder, work harder. And then before you know it, uh, you end up triggered by an anime episode that goes a little too far with the shonen tropes of be better, work harder, you know, get more powerful than the next guy, and then charge up your attack and become the best at everything. There's a lot of people, by the way, in certain cultures that are being led toward uh, terrible mental struggles and depression with that kind of idea. Uh, I think that Christians cannot afford to flirt with that notion. Any of these cultural conservative ideas or these free market ideas to work harder, be better, you've got to see those in light of the gospel, in light of the finished work of Christ. I think uh, when I was younger, and still to some extent, I think about Jesus' finished work as, yes, he died on the cross for my sins. You know, my, my sin is removed. The guilt and shame of sin is removed if I repent and believe in Jesus. Uh, and yes, that is true. Jesus takes away sin. He removes the guilt. That is called propitiation, uh, roughly an atoning sacrifice. Christ takes away the sin and guilt that you have if you are repentant uh, and believe in him as Lord and Savior. But there's another theological concept uh, called expiation. Uh, some people call it the great swap or the great trade. Not only does Jesus take away the sin and the penalty uh, that Christians have, but he gives you his own righteousness. He gives you his own finished work. Jesus did everything as the most excellent most creatively superior person, capital P person, who ever lived. Now, I'm not sure how that works, like if he's learning a carpentry with his earthly father, Joseph. You know, did he always get it right? Uh, did he make the tools uh, perfectly? Did he make the objects perfectly? I don't know. But in terms of his spiritual work and his ministry, uh, whether or not he had to practice at it uh, because of his human nature, Jesus did get everything right and his work is finished and we as christians get to benefit from that uh, we get to look to him not only as our savior but also uh, our example and we look to christ and we say there is the perfect person he did everything right he did everything with excellence his creativity was unmatched we can look to him as the perfect man and uh, inspired by and following his example and being redeemed by his blood in his gospel, we can have the motivation to strive for excellence, not under the burden or the legal uh, burden of work, because we're supposed to be better despite the thorns and thistles, but we look to him uh, with a positive motivation. We want to honor Jesus. We want to glorify him by doing great creative work. Uh, we want to do this as an act of worship not as an act of obligation. I find this 
like supercharged fuel, especially on a day uh, like I had yesterday. Uh, I have Lorehaven uh, days specifically, and I just group all my creative work in as Lorehaven work. Ultimately, even the freelance stuff that I do or, or any of the fiction projects I'm working on, I reserve Thursdays and Fridays and mostly Saturdays for that kind of work. And I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do that. But I work pretty hard on day job on Mondays through Wednesdays in order to uh, to support that. But on Thursday and Friday, I was feeling the thorns and thistles, folks. I was hurting. I'm not sure why. It could be the Texas heat. Uh, it could just be aches and pains. I'm not sure why. I just did not want to get work done. So it hurts. And yet then when I remember, though, Christ's finished work uh, and the positive motivation for creative work, I find that like jet fuel to the veins on a good day. If I can take care of those pains and the other commitments that I have to do, it is quite the motivator. And I find that I can block time out in the calendar and start doing that thing that maybe the motivational uh, speakers tell you to do uh, in order to be the most productive ever. It can happen. It doesn't always happen, uh, but I don't think it happens just by rules and structures. Uh, it happens uh, with motivation uh, from the finished work of Jesus. I think that his finished work uh, and that, uh, that renewed and redeemed call to make great things using God's things are another fantastic biblical, not just practical support uh, for the idea of reviews. Lorehaven does, when, when we can, we do weekly reviews of the best Christian-made fantastical fiction that's published that we can find. Uh, we want to be, to some extent, uh, one of the better gatekeepers out there, paying uh, unique attention to these stories. And our reviewed team members do function as critics, I would say. I'm not opposed to the idea of criticism, even though the word sounds kind of harsh, so long as it is constructive and based on healthy expectations of stories. I'm not opposed to the idea of gatekeepers, like even an independent novelist uh, who's chosen to publish their own book apart from some publishing company, large or small. Even the independent novelist has gatekeepers, uh, people who are coming along. Uh, maybe he or she is hiring someone uh, to help them out with the edit, or they've got uh, good friends who don't mind telling them when the story isn't working out and we need to revise it. And of course, traditional publishers, including a lot of the uh, supporters of this show and the folks we meet at Realmakers, they function uh, as gatekeepers. The idea of an agent uh, or, or an editor uh, who can look someone in the eye and be very kind and say, I'm sorry, this isn't what we're looking for, or I'm sorry, uh, I would like to see this someday, but I think you need to work on it some more. Uh, that can really hurt. And I, I've been told those things myself. Absolutely. That can really hurt. Uh, discrimination uh, with excellence does hurt, but I think ultimately it does help point to Jesus. It points to uh, that high expectation uh, that Jesus has, uh, motivated by his grace, not by obligation, uh, to get better, uh, to be more excellent, uh, to get past cliches uh, and bad writing, and even some of the thorns and thistles that we step on on the way to trying to do our jobs. It's a good motivation for these things. By the way, that's why I love an award ceremony, like the last week uh, Realm Makers uh, Realm Awards banquet. I always feel a little tension in the middle of uh, these ceremonies. Uh, maybe it's uh, maybe someday I'll have my own book uh, in, you know, nominated for an award or something. And the tension then is going to be so bad that it's going to warp back into space time and affect me in the present day. But I think it's just more of um, an excess of empathy, actually. Uh, competition makes me feel tense. I can just imagine what all these uh, many dozens of authors are feeling like uh, knowing that they're up for an award 
uh, knowing that they, you know, in the next few minutes they could get it or maybe they couldn't get it. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, the, the hosts of the Realm Awards are, you know, I, I think in a classy way, but they're, they're allowing that tension just a little bit uh, because it's part of the show. Uh, people don't know who's going to win. The authors don't know who's going to win. Uh, for every person who got the award for each of the genre categories, four people were left disappointed. Uh, they get the consolation that they were nominated, uh, but they didn't get the award. You know, they didn't get to get their own table uh, at the uh, the book festival the next night, you know, with people lining up uh, to get signed copies of the book. And one could say, you know, them's the breaks. But I would then point and possibly to my detriment in the future, if I'm in the middle of something like this, uh, I would point to the fact uh, that aspiration, uh, trying to get better at what you do, uh, and even competition are healthy. Uh, those are not automatically bad things. Uh, they may bring very negative emotions or tension, uh, or they may be associated with a sinful distortion of competition and aspiration. Uh, but those things are not automatically sinful. I think that really helps us then to understand why we honor and support story creators uh, and maybe then not honor and support other creators as much. Uh, that is, to an extent, part of the game. Uh, to have a winner, you need to have someone who is not yet a winner, but eternity may help to sharpen this uh, kind of cliched idea that eventually everyone is a winner. And I think about that in terms of the doctrine of heavenly rewards, uh, which I'll get to in a moment, which I used to have a really hard time with. Uh, but then I realized that there's no way to read certain scriptures without uh, an idea about the doctrine of heavenly rewards. But it starts uh, with uh, a kind of some speculation and going back to the Garden of Eden and trying to imagine a sinless world. Adam and Eve may have had, just between themselves, friendly competition. Uh, one person may have tried to, like, okay, so imagine it was an actual physical race. You know, they may have tried to race each other. Hey, we've got these legs. We can run with them. It feels great. It feels amazing. After a while, it feels exhausting. But let's see who can reach that tree first. Well, there's two people. Uh, unless you have exact perfection, a, a photo finish between the two of them, one would have had a win and one would have had to lose. But it wouldn't have felt bad to lose. Uh, it would have felt good to celebrate the other person. Uh, it would have been fulfilling. You would have got to rejoice in that person's victory with humility just as much as you would have rejoiced uh, if you had won. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this when he's exploring pride. Uh, Lewis has a great view on pride and accomplishment. Uh, his view is not so much that uh, humility would make everybody think of themselves as a worm who's not worth celebrating. C.S. Lewis said the most humble person would be able to celebrate uh, the accomplishment of the other guy just as much as he or she celebrates his or her own accomplishment. So it's equal celebration whether or not you made the best possible thing. It is about celebration. That's what the awards banquet is. That's what uh, any good review is. It's a celebration of great work done well. And I think that emphasizing the celebration aspect really helps us to honor and support story creators. Uh, by the way, of the apostles, uh, even in a world with sin but being redeemed by Jesus, uh, they encourage this when they talk about uh, the healthy uh, differences between male and female sexes. Generally, men are going to be better, we could say at some things, and women generally are going to be better at other things. We can rejoice in those general differences uh, rather than viewing this as some sort of competition where someone has to come out on top all the time. Uh, differences are worth celebrating. And I think even the best 
secular version of that is the idea that diversity is our strength. Like that definitely turns into some very bad ideas, but you see the good idea at the heart of it. We should celebrate one another's differences, not condemn one another's differences. Well, now I come to the idea of eternal rewards, which I will briefly touch on. Uh, a big passage about this is 1 Corinthians 3, where the Apostle Paul dares to say that even among people who get saved, some people will have more rewards in eternity than others. Very, very strange idea. And like I said, I, I used to hate that because we're used to this idea that all are one in Christ. You know, there's no Jew or Gentile. Uh, there's no ranking like that. Uh, there's no male or female uh, as regards to eternal uh, safety and eternal security. Uh, there's no you know, Gentile or Jew. There's no slave nor free. You know, all are, in a sense, equal in Christ's kingdom. Yes, that is true. But, for example, the person who surrendered his life to Jesus as a martyr is probably going to be first in line to be the mayor of a city uh, in the new heavens and new earth. There's going to be someone who goes first, and I think we can all agree that if you got your head chopped off for Jesus, you should probably get a right of first refusal for a job like that. Does that mean that uh, there'll be mayor forever? No, probably not. But apart from who gets to boss a certain city for the glory of Jesus, uh, think about it in terms of creativity. There's going to be uh, people making stories and songs in the new earth who are more popular than others. Memory, I think, does continue. Uh, there's not a, a memory wipe and a reset of all of human culture. I think a lot of the stories and songs that we know now, especially those by Christians, will continue and they'll benefit from their existing popularity on earth. Uh, someone who wrote, uh, the, per the woman who wrote Jesus Loves Me, for example, I think her song is always going to be more popular uh, than other songs that were written afterward. Uh, there's going to be some ranking. Could you call that competition? Well, maybe. But I think it's more an issue of who got there first. Uh, the apostles, I think, almost without exception, the apostles almost without exception uh, got there first. So they probably get right of first refusal uh, for being in charge of cities. I think that actually when Jesus told this parable about that, uh, you know, the guy with 10 talents uh, gets to be in charge of 10 cities and the guy with five talents gets to be in charge of five cities. And the guy who got one talent but did nothing with it doesn't get any cities at all. It's not so much an issue of uh, fairness. It's an issue of what did you do with the talent that God gave you? And yeah, you could call that competition, uh, but I would say that's healthy competition. I don't do a lot of sports, uh, but I'm aware of that there is a thing called healthy competition and being a good sport and all of those things. Uh, and I think that that will continue in the new heavens and new earth. Honor for one type of creative person who's doing great work is going to be different from a, an honor for another type of person who's doing another kind of work, or maybe who is uh, further back on the journey of becoming that expert uh, artist or athlete or performer or worker of some kind. Uh, and that is okay because God is still involved in that person's story and loves that person no less, even if they got a head start. Uh, I think that this will continue in the new heavens, new earth. And as a result, we can get practicing now in how we honor and support uh, story creators. And I get that uh, not just from scripture, but from one of my favorite authors, uh, Randy Alcorn. Uh, in his book, uh, Heaven, uh, he suggests that aspiration, trying to get better, and competition uh, will be eternal. And it's worth quoting in full. Uh, pages 410 and 411, Randy Alcorn writes in Heaven, quote, Just as we can look forward to cultural endeavors such as art, drama, and music on the new earth, 
we can assume that we'll also enjoy sports there. According to the principle of continuity, we should expect the new earth to be characterized by familiar, earthly, though uncorrupted, things. Scripture compares the Christian life to athletic competitions. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27, 2 Timothy 2, 5. Because sports aren't inherently sinful, we have every reason to believe that the same activities, games, skills, and interests we enjoy here will be available on the new earth, with many new ones we haven't thought of. People have told me, but there can't be athletics in heaven because competition brings out the worst in people. It's true that some people's sin spills over during athletic competition, but in heaven there will be no worst in us to bring out. People further object, but in sports someone has to lose, and in heaven no one could lose. Who said so? I've thoroughly enjoyed many tennis matches and 10-kilometer races that I've lost. Losing a game isn't evil. It's not part of the curse. To say that everyone would have to win in heaven underestimates the nature of resurrected humanity. End quote. That's from Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven. I resonate with that personally because there have been times, even though I've not been in a race or a sports game that I can remember caring much about, frankly, there have been times though where I feel happy that someone else won the prize than I didn't. Uh, that empathy I feel when I'm feeling all tense during an award ceremony that I'm not a part of, uh, it also translates to happiness uh, sometimes uh, when I see other people succeed, uh, even if I've not personally succeeded. I think that that is probably the most Christ-like we can be uh, when we feel that level of happiness and personal fulfillment. And that's why I think we should take these things seriously. We take stories seriously. We take the creators seriously. We, we seek to honor them because they're not trivial. We don't dismiss these things as trivial uh, or roll our eyes in an awards competition or review or, or the idea of a review or something like that. Uh, these things matter because they reflect that original calling, the very first commandment that God gave his people from the dawn of the creation of the world. You don't get much more important than that. And God wants excellence. So we celebrate excellence, even when people seem to be winning at it and people are not yet winning at it. And I do say yet because we've got eternity to practice getting behind the scenes, uh, a little bit behind the scenes at Lorehaven. I, I would just make a quick personal application because I sometimes struggle with this. I published Lorehaven and the idea of looking for excellence affects our work. I mean, we not only want to expect excellence of ourselves uh, and get better and train one another to get better. Uh, but we're also looking for that with other people. And this is where we are subject to so many temptations uh, because sinners going to sin and those little corruptions and temptations and idolatries will sneak into the quest for excellence. For example, I think it's perfectly right to have high standards uh, for guests that we want on this very podcast. Uh, last week, for example, uh, we rounded up uh, seven guests uh, among them, some of the award winners of last week uh, to talk at the Realmakers Conference. This necessarily means uh, that there were some people we did not round up. Most of them were really busy talking with people. Uh, and we even told some people before they got on the show, hey, if someone wants to buy your book, we will let you alone and come back for you later uh, if there's a lull in the crowd uh, because you got nominated for this award and we want to support what you do. But in theory, there could be other guests who say, hey, I'd like to be on your show. And we say, mm, not yet. This sometimes feels very bad because it feels like we're picking and choosing uh, winners and losers for the click. Uh, clicks are nasty. I don't like them. Uh, but a circle of human beings with boundaries and expectations for different uh, levels of excellence 
are appropriate. A local church has those. You know, a local church has to say, to some extent, who's in the team and who's off the team. Not who's off the Christian team, but who's on the local church team. You can't as easily say who is and isn't a Christian, although a local church can technically do even that with the discipline process. Uh, There's this whole idea of trying to honor people, meaning that you don't honor other people in the same way. A discrimination in that way is okay. You do discriminate in order to expect creative excellence. And that's what we do in our reviews at Lorehaven too. Uh, There's some books, many books, in fact, just because of the volume of submissions that we get, that we decide not to review. That's perfectly fair. That's perfectly okay. But it's sometimes a very hard call. We may start a book that looked really good. And then the reviewer says, I'm not getting into this. I'm going to try to finish, but I don't think I can write a good review because we don't do bad reviews at Lorehaven. Uh, if we didn't like a book or it was an older book or we just couldn't get to it in time, we, we just don't review it. Uh, that's kind of the way we split the difference because, as I've mentioned before, I like snarky reviews. I really, really like snarky reviews, and I don't want that to turn sinful. So it takes work uh, to try to expect excellence uh, but not drift into a sinful uh, picking of winners and uh, you know discrimination against losers for your click. Gossip can get involved. Politics can get involved. I won't deny that it is very, very challenging. But I think that's the challenge that we ought to embrace as Christians. A far worse thing would be to pretend that everybody is the same level of excellence, which is just deceptive uh, and dishonest. And I think it helps, though, if we're playing by the same rules. As a personal note, as I mentioned, uh, I've been declined by creative professionals. Uh, my, my work did not fit their present needs, or maybe they felt that the uh, writing could use uh, some extra polishing. So if I condition out, I ought to be able to take it. And that's perfectly okay. Like the Apostle Paul, whether I seem to be winning or losing at this particular life season, I can learn the secret of being content. And at back of that is a far greater truth. Our work is not for self-fulfillment. Our creativity is not just for the sake of being human and getting better for its own sake because human and all that stuff. And our work, our creative work, is not just to fill the wounds or heal the wounds left over by sin. Uh, Instead, we honor people who do creative work, image bearers of Jesus Christ, for the sake of happiness, for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of being human for his sake. It is part of worship. Being excellent is so that we can worship better. Uh, You don't want to, unless you absolutely have to, Get somebody in front of church to do the special who cannot hit any of the notes. If you want to serve God, worship God, and serve his people in front of them or as part of them or whatever, you're going to want to get better. You, to some extent, will want to seek that kind of honor that comes with it. You want to, if you're a Christian author, write a book that is worthy of an award, that is worthy of more sales and not less sales that is worthy of getting people talking. Did you read so-and-so by such-and-such? That was the best book I read this month or this year or even in my lifetime. You may not hit that goal. Very few will, but it's worth pursuing that. And for us as readers, it is worth honoring and going out of our way to support the creators who are making these kinds of stories for the glory of God and pursuing excellence. So tell your friends about them. 
Don't hide the light of that book under a bushel. No, let your light shine. Let the book author's light shine. Tell people about it. Post about it on social media. Share the book with people at your church. Get a physical copy. Let the pages get all dog-eared because other people now are being blessed by this wonderful treasure that you have found. That is a great way to honor and support story creators, whether or not they're Christians, but how much more so should we support excellent work by Christian authors, including the award winners at Realm Makers, including the books that we review at Lorehaven or do in our book quests, and any other books that you find. Glorify God and serve those authors by honoring them and sharing their stories as widely as you can. We have a few stories at Lorehaven to share. I'm going to stop by the uh, mission station here uh, on the command deck of the starship Lorehaven. Of course, you too can board this incredible ship by subscribing free. Get updates from the site uh, anytime we post a new article or news update or Friday review or Tuesday podcast episode. Uh, you can also get your exclusive invitation to join the Lorehaven Guild. That is our uh, exclusive server on Discord. We host monthly book clubs. That is a quest through a Christian-made fantastical novel that we have found reflects excellence. Our current book has been Recorder, a science fiction by Kathy McCrum. And uh, now uh, Tisha, who's the guild master, will be supervising our next book quest through Kara Swanson's award-winning fantasy novel, Dust. That is coming up starting in the month of August. And then we've got some uh, other great titles coming up to finish out the year as well. Uh, this Friday, reviews are back. Uh, we took a break uh, for the summer and for Realm Makers, uh, but we now have an advanced review uh, of the book written by Rochelle Nelson, uh, whom you may have heard on our last episode, 171. Her book is coming up for August release, and it is called Sky of Seven Colors. I have no doubt that'll be featured in the sponsor segment at the top of this uh, show. You can also get the review of this fantastical novel uh, coming up just this Friday. Uh, I see the comm station is lit up with a few unread notifications in my absence, uh, starting with the newest one. Uh, we had a, a new listener to the podcast named John Sweeting, who very sweetly left a comment at lorehaven.com. That was episode 169 about cussing and fighting. Uh, he says, quote, just listen to episode 169 on fighting and cussing. I really enjoyed all of the aspects discussed. Thanks for a great treatment of a serious subject. End quote. John, you just blessed me right there uh, with that praise of what we really wanted to be an excellent treatment of the subject. We couldn't cover it all. I have no doubt that violence is worth its own episode and cussing is certainly worth its own episode. Uh, that's the summary that we were hoping to do. I'm glad that you found that creatively excellent. We also got a comment from an older article, uh, James R. Hannibal's article back in June about how, yes, men and boys will read if you give them the right books. Lily said in response to that article, quote, hello. As a fan of fantasy and Christian romance, I think it is time that many people realize this. The problem is not that Christian fiction is full of romance and fiction for women. If they left that aside, the problem would be the other way around. The girls would go to the secular in search of reading. No, now that we have female writers and a popular genre like romance has enough representation in the Christian industry, let's also pay attention to the fantasy boys that everyone likes. End quote. I agree. I don't want to get rid of romance. If I had the Infinity Gauntlet and could snap my finger, I would not do it. That would be rude. That would not be honoring and supporting the creators of those stories, the good ones and the, uh, the mid ones alike. I wouldn't want to do that. Instead, I would want to build on the success of those writers. 
I'd want to build on the success of that audience. And I wouldn't want to just sit there and whine and complain. Why don't more publishers do Christian science fiction, for example? We, you know, we've got YA fantasy kind of, uh, kind of locked down. There's plenty of Christian made YA fantasy. Now I could whine and complain about the lack of hard science fiction. Well, not only am I trying that myself, but I'm also seeking uh, to make it sound awesome with a podcast like this. Uh, and with Lorehaven, we review YA fantasy and science fiction and horror, paranormal, all that stuff. We want to focus on all of those fantastical genres. And I think it's a good thing that we do. And it's a good thing that we are cultivating, uh, I think, the best stories that we can for these. So hopefully you will feel the same way. Uh, and then we'll get a, a greater diversity and a greater excellence of these stories uh, from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Next on Fantastical Truth, well, presumably, Zachary Russell, my co-host and engineer, will return aboard the good starship Lorehaven. And speaking of creative excellence, well, let's take another look at the summer cinema season. Did you see uh, Barbenheimer this weekend? I didn't. I still want to see Mission Impossible 7. I really don't want to see either of those two movies, actually. But if you liked them and shut your eyes during Nolan's naked bits, then I'm thrilled for you. Some movies, including those two, are doing great. But other movies, some of them very expensive, including a, oddly enough, uh, you know, $300 million indie movie. <laughs> Those movies are flopping on their faces. Uh, meanwhile, some streaming services are falling even harder. And thanks to the aforementioned Hollywood strikes, plus economic instability, plus the threat of artificial intelligence art, we could see a burst of the streaming service bubble. How should Christians react to the movie critic system and its risks and rewards for certain kinds of movies? And how can we act as better critics of stories that are both well-made and good for your soul? Meanwhile, I guess I want to quote that old 90s movie and say, be excellent to each other. But not just that. I want to say, be excellent for the glory of God. We're not just trying to beat the other guy. We're not just trying to get awards. We're not just trying to find the best book for its own sake. We're not gluttons for excellency, uh, and we're not trying to be arrogant about this. I think the best impulse that we have as Christians is that we want to glorify Jesus. Jesus is the most excellent, most creative man who ever lived. It is in service to him and worship of him and service to our neighbors in his church that we're looking for excellent stuff and honoring and supporting those who create it as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.